Trustworthiness is not something that we tend to associate with real estate agents. And yet when we engage one to sell our home or when we negotiate with one to buy a property, whether we realize it or not, we are putting a huge amount of faith in them. This is an industry where trust is integral to getting deals done. And yet the ingredients that create trust, truth and transparency are so elusive. In this age of readily accessible information, are agents responding by getting better or worse at fulfilling the role of a trusted advisor? And as developments in technology and AI allow clever entrepreneurs to imagine other solutions, is there a chance that agents will ultimately be replaced by a more trustworthy digital solution? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? The elephant in the room.com.au. Today's guest is host of the Trusted Agent podcast, Sean Schofield. Sean is also the National Sales Manager of Rezo, a digital real estate sales platform, and a business consultant currently working in the real estate space. We're curious about what the term trusted agent actually means. Are there any signs of players in the property industry who are replacing a profit-led approach to business with a purpose-led one? Or could a lack of trust and trustworthiness eventually lead to a major disruption? So we are really thankful for you coming on today to talk to us, Sean. This should be a nice meaty chat. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me along, Veronica and Chris. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for coming, Sean. I guess we'll just start with the big one. I mean, do you think there's a bit of a trust issue in real estate? I mean, bigger than other industries, I guess. Or do you think it's like a, a systemic problem, I guess, that's hard to get rid of? It's, it's an interesting one. I think in when you look at sales component across any industry, yeah. there's going to be a fundamental distrust because someone you're going to someone to purchase something, uh, whether it be a product or a service, and you're relying on that person to give you exactly what you need. But there is that other side where there's something in it for them. They're earning money off selling something to you. So because of that little divide, I think that's the little period of unknown as to how do I know what you're telling me is actually true? And if this is actually right for me, or are you just trying to line your own pockets? So I don't think it's systemic only or um, only in real estate industry. Yeah. I think it's actually a problem across many sales industries. But do you Although think it's more you... prolific in the real estate industry though? Do you think that decades of this building and building and it's the constant games where the buyer, people have been on the buy side, then people have been on the sell side and they're like, well, actually, I actually don't even know if the agent was telling me the right thing when they were selling my property. And, it's, it's, it's kind of like a journey, isn't it? It certainly is. And the real estate industry, I, I think they, they cop it. It doesn't matter what I think as such. I've been in the industry and working with real estate agents for about seven years now. I've worked with some great trusted real estate brands, Harcourts, LJ Hookers, and worked with many um, principals and directors and across property management and sales agents. In my own experience, I haven't seen that uh, lack of trust is well-deserved. But the public perception yep. is that you can't trust real estate agents. And that's really what matters most. And that's why I started the Trusted Agent podcast is because whether or not 
you as an agent think they, oh, well, that doesn't pertain to me. That doesn't really, that has nothing to do with me. Surely I'm trusted. That doesn't even matter. It's about the public perception that you're going to be facing someone that right off the back foot may not trust you. And what can agents do about that to break down those barriers and build trust and earn the trust of both vendors and buyers? How do you determine who's a trusted agent? So if you're going to interview people on your podcast, for instance, do you do you not worry about that and sort of try to work it out while you're interviewing them? Or or do you have sort of a criteria you use beforehand? I, I actually, uh, it was a very interesting question. There were some people that I thought, oh, I don't know if they're going to be on the top of my list. And that was probably not well-deserved. And I think it's because it could be the um, persona or it didn't match what I was trying to go for with the look and feel or uh, their Instagram um was showing something different from what I was really trying to get to. But I did go into the Trusted Agent podcast for two reasons. One, I wanted to really open up the conversation of how does how do we solve this public perception? What can agents do to get in the driver's seat? And two, I wanted to hear from both sides or not just from real estate industry. Um, I wanted to hear from people, experts in their field outside of the real estate industry and what they thought agents can do as well. Because I don't think it's, if you go too secular, you only come up with one version of the truth. Um, But on the real estate side, I looked for people that had great reputations, people I'd known for seven years and had been in the industry for decades as well, and had good reputations of leading teams, um, you know, both internally and with their customers as well. So my list was very targeted uh, for season one of the Trusted Agent podcast, and I got to meet some great people. So so what were some of the main things you think that real estate agents have changed in their process or their, I guess, their beliefs around how they, you know, conduct themselves or, you know, what are they doing that are elevating themselves in the consumer's eyes to be more trusted? I think a lot of them are stripping the layers back of what it means to be a real estate agent the flash and dash of cash and cars and, and big watches and, and promoting yourself and, um, or sales at no cost and working the barbecue line uh, at a local family, all that's kind of stripped away. I think they've become more human and therefore more approachable. And what I see where a lot of agents and any, a lot of people in the real estate industry, not just agents, I see a big shift in creating value first, giving away insights and data information that people are asking for first before asking for business. And I think that's been a big fundamental change. Whereas uh, I think a lot of people led with a business card. You got to work with me. I'll get you the best price or get you the best deal or, you know, stick with me. It's about, well, hold on. I'm not sure if I'm the right fit for you yet. Let's get to know each other, but tell me what's important to you right now. And let's see if I can help you and deliver that to you. And by doing so, well, then you can decide if I'm the right fit for you. It's an interesting one. I, I think some, uh, sorry, I think some agents uh, do that very well and authentically, and I think some people you still use it as a bit of a tactic. Well, the problem is, I guess, when they're so rehearsed, and that, that that's really what it comes off as inauthentic because, you know, and from a sales, I'm a salesperson, and I know that you've got to understand what you're saying and you've got to say it succinctly and you've got to have clear talking points and you've got to have clear value proposition all that sort of stuff. But I, I also know that a lot of sales agents, you just can't trust what they're saying because you know it's heavily dialogued, and particularly in the offer process, which we'll get to a bit later. But but I'm interested in what you said about leading with value because in a way it sounds to me that that's probably a response to the 
free availability of data and of information. And like, let's face it, everyone can find out now themselves what the house next door sold for, whereas before you had to get, the agent had to tell you. So I guess that that in itself is a change. It's like, how are they leading with value rather than just telling you what you want to know, you know, which is what the neighbor's house sold for and what yours is worth. You know, are mm. there differences and nuances with how they're actually or and, and I, I'm not saying they genuinely, because I purely I truly don't believe the majority are doing this yet. I don't think there's a level of sophistication right through the industry. But I do know that there are individual players and individual um agencies where this is front centre. You know, I interviewed John Cunningham some months back around this and he's a he's a classic example. So in what way, I guess, are they're becoming more sophisticated in this leading with value? Yeah, I, you're right. There is so much information available on tap out there. I think that there's still a reliance um, that people looking to buy or sell properties, they want a professional. And that's in, pretty much insisted that every real estate agent has to elevate themselves to show that they are the leading professional in their marketplace. And I think John Cunningham is a wonderful example of who you've chosen as someone who's trusted. When I think John Cunningham, I don't think a real estate agent. I don't even think of John Cunningham as being, you know, the head of Cunningham's. I, I see John Cunningham as being someone who's so embedded in his community, in his society, that he knows everyone and he knows the history and his team do too. So it's not just about the data of how much a, a house sold and when. But what was the story and what was the reason behind that as well? So what are the contextual layers of storytelling that agents bring into creating the value as well beyond the data? And I think that's where technology still got a long way to go. And I don't think technology will ever replace a real estate agent. Um, certainly not in my lifetime. There's always going to be a place for real estate agents, but they have to understand the value is in the connection, the stories and really hitting the emotional triggers of what the vendor or buyers are looking for and delivering to that. And that's a human-esque uh, quality. Yeah, I mean, I've been dealing with a bunch of agents locally just recently with buying and selling and should I sell or shouldn't sell and do we rent this out, et cetera. Um, and absolutely, I mean, it's a, it, it's, they've all got the same value proposition, to be honest. They all want to be that sort of trusted advisor. Um, but then when there's competition yeah. takes over between the agents, they all start to go back to their sales tactics, right? Um, because they want to get the listing and then they yeah. want to get the sale and they want you to buy their property and then they want you to rent your property out through them and um, then they want to discount their other person's listings because then it puts more attraction to their listings. And I think it's, it's it takes a real professional to sort of stay above that and, you know, to constantly remind themselves what's in the best interest of me or the, you, the customer, you know, like what is the best advice here? Yeah, Matt, my main, you're not going to sell your property for five years because you're going to rent it out. That's okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'll get your listing in five years' time. And I, I think that's where the yeah. – uh, talking to some of the other agents in the area that are starting out, they haven't got that many listings, you know. They haven't got the commission. They've got targets. They've got pressure on them to earn money. Um, yeah, the the sort of principles of the agencies are, are sort of doing okay and they know that they've got the profits of the business. But there's that problem as well where um, I think the competition element is just so rife, right, because it's like a lot of industries you're competing across a whole nation, right, like in – but, you know, in agency world, you're competing in a pocket in a suburb. And um, if you don't get the listing, your competition gets the listing and then they get ahead of you and then you've got to fight back. It's 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 so rife. I was it's just very blown personal. away. Yeah, it's, and it is. It's really yeah. individual as opposed to corporate, isn't it? Yeah, and you know what? But does it have to be? You know, listening to you speak then, Chris, I, I was just 
thinking about in every company, a brand recognized company, whether it be Coke, Cadbury or McDonald's or whatever, they know exactly who their target market is. They know what type of customers are attracted to them and the value and service that they deliver to that customer. It's very clear. And they never go off script. I was once talking to earlier in the year, I was talking to a real estate agent who was trying to define or decide where to invest their most time. And I just asked a couple simple questions. I said, who has been the best uh, vendor that you've had over the last year or two? And what were the reasons why? And she went through and, and told me the reasons. And I said, okay, now what came out of that was, you know, they were in this particular profession. They were really low maintenance. Uh, they earned this much money. They were looking for this type of property. Um, and uh, they, they wanted this price. And they were very clear about what they wanted. I said, that's your ideal customer. Now, can you get testimonials? Because we tend to flock together. And that person went on to go get more leads of that like customer and is now setting herself on a part of a brand journey for herself, who she's going to be recognized for in this little private segment. And it's really interesting that not many, many agents are seeing themselves as a professional brand or setting themselves apart or above their competition. But if you think about some of the top agents in Australia and what they do, that's exactly what they do. They know there may not be for everyone, and that's okay. But they're very clear on who they are for and who they're not for and what they're all about and what they're going to deliver. The thing is, though, you know, I, I know the top list and, I, and the ones in Sydney, I pretty much know them all and I know the way they operate. They're not all trustworthy, you know? I was, <laughs> I was talking to the one agent and this one didn't make the, uh, the podcast. It might make it in season two. I'm not sure yet. And it was an interesting one. This character was uh, polarizing could certainly divide a room. Uh, but what I found was really unique about talking with this real estate agent is they were very clear about who they are, who they were for, and what they were going to deliver, and the tactics that they were going to use. Now, they didn't hide anything back from the vendors. Like, this is me. Like it or love it, but I'm going to get you the best price by doing this. Now, he didn't particularly like this guy. He wasn't a warming nature. But did I trust him? Well, he was so brazen and blunt. Yeah, I kind of did in that element. Now, if I was a buyer on that side, I don't know if I would. But from a vendor's point of view, I felt he was pretty trustworthy. So I guess it depends. Are you trusted from everyone or just the people that you're working with in that relationship? It's an interesting Which one. is a very good point, actually, because, you know, and it's what I'm at great pains to remind everybody, particularly Home Buyer Academy, which is the course of first home buyers, is the agent is working for the owner, the vendor. They, their job is to get the best price. The job is to sell the house. And, you, and you've got to understand that their job is to help you in only as so far as that they achieve what their responsibility is for the vendor. However, there is this concept of buyer beware, which, which varies in its degree of, um, I guess, risk for buyers in different states like Queensland that, you know, they get the least amount of information and New South Wales and Victoria get quite, you know, buyers get quite a high amount of information. Um, but buy beware does exist, i.e. that the responsibility relies on the buyer, lies with the buyer to actually cover off all, all their due diligence. And most, let's face it, don't have the faintest clue what they should yeah. be doing. So it they is. are unmatched, you know, at the end of the day. But there's this expectation that they should be able to trust the agent. Now, you know, I'm, my jury's out on this. I'm a buyer's agent. I, I'm also a licensed real estate agent. I was a sales agent. I get it. I totally get the way the whole yeah. thing works. And I think that buyers do need to take responsibility for what they need to do, you know, to make a good decision. 
make good decisions, I should say. However, yeah, oh, go on. Yeah, however, so. I also know, and I'm dealing with agents day in, day out, and I also know, I know which ones I can trust to do certain things. It doesn't make them trustworthy. It's just that I can trust their behaviour because it's consistent, you know. Yes. And, and so there's, there's so many aspects to this idea of trust. So behaving in a consistent way like that person you're referring to, and in fact, just the way you've described that person, I think I know exactly who that person is, um, you know, <laughs> Behaving in a certain way that is consistent, I don't know whether that fulfills the category of trustworthiness. You know what I mean? Because the problem, but the problem is being totally trustworthy is actually not necessarily doing their job. Mm. I think it's, I want to back up. I think it's wonderful that you're doing your courses for buyers. And I, I think that it's also wonderful you're uh, a buyer's advisory as well. I, I, I did interview two other um, buyer advocates. And they say consistency was also the number one issue of why people don't trust real estate agents. So, so I think so consistency. Are they saying that agents aren't consistent? And that's why they're not trusted, or because they absolutely. are consistent? <laughs> no, um, I, I think it's because they're not. They're not really consistent. If you have one agent that you know is consistently in this lane, um, and you're going great, I, I know what to expect when working with that person, so I trust the process. All right, but if I'm a buyer. And I'm looking around uh, for my dream home and I'm meeting 12 different agents on 12 different properties. And each one of them are inconsistent of each other because they're individuals. That's where it comes down to. And I know you love getting into the psyche Mm. of buying as well. Who am I actually relating to? Chances are they're picking the one that relates most to them. The one that's most like me is the agent that I'm probably going to choose. Not the one that gives me all the best information or or bends over backwards when you're buying it's usually, you don't have the when buying yeah when you're selling that's fine because you can choose the the agents most like you and this is a good point too there are agents that are inconsistent within their own behavior there's agents that are very consistent within their own behavior but then you've got 10 agents and they will all have slight differences and that then from a consumer's point of view they don't know who's inconsistent who's not consistent they actually don't know how to operate because they they don't understand that you know there's not one way of, of um functioning which I guess we'll get to your digital platform at some point because that sort of that uniforms <laughs> sort of uh, solves that in a way, doesn't it? But, but I think it's great that there's buyers advocates because you, the onus is on the buyers to do their due diligence and to check everything out. But as you rightly said, many don't know what to do, and it's fascinating how many buyers out there will give more thought about what toppings to pe- put on their pizza or what car to purchase, or a set of golf clubs, and we'll give that more thought and research and then buying their biggest asset of the rest of their life. You know, they don't know what they don't know. And it's such, it is complex. And you are walking a bit of it in the dark as a buyer, and you're only trusting the information that's being given to you because, well, what other choice do you have? You're holding on to all these lifelines. So for buyers, it is a little bit more trickier to know who. Unfortunately, though, you've got to step in, right? You can't just be sitting on the fence and be like, well, all agents are untrustworthy. I'm not even going to tell them anything about my situation. Um, I'm just going to (laughs) play it too cool for school. You know, I'm not going to tell them if I'm pre-approved. They ask me any questions. I'm not going to answer those. I'm not going to get back to their calls. I'm always going to doubt everything they say. 
because um, you'll just get burnt, right? You'll be put in the blacklist. The agents won't call you back. You know, they know that you're a time waster. Um, you know, they, they won't even uh, tell you if you like a property and you show you're interested. They'll just take someone else's offer. They'll do everything else to sabotage you because you're doing everything to sabotage them. And um, I think, unfortunately, you've got to get yourself – got to don't hate the game, I guess. Just, just understand mm-hmm. the game. You yeah, know, understand that the agents are conflicted. The agents aren't there to – look after your best interests you know all the onus is on you as a buyer yeah. um but you've got to play it you've got to go in you've got the agent's gonna uh, only look at uh, wanting to you know that is preference with offers you know they are going to want to potentially uh sell it to the person that they might be able to sell it to, sell it from in the future you know there's a you know they could potentially get a listing mm. in the future you might have another prop- property that they could sell straight away you know you could be uh, a real local you know member of the community that they actually like and referred people to them in the past and so I guess it's just, you know, I guess the buyers just really just got to get through it unscathed really and try not to um, get taken for a ride by agents. But the agents are, are going to have to use tactics, you know, especially if a property ain't the best property, um, there's not much interest. You can't say it's not in the vendor's interest to potentially pretend that there's more interest in it than there isn't, you know, to create a bit of urgency, you know, otherwise you're not going to get any offers. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm pretty on the, the agent side here to a certain extent, besides being blatantly um, against the law and making up lies, et cetera. Because the issues buyers have is, yeah, they hate the game when they're playing it to buy, but when they sell, they want to use the agent to use all those tactics to get mm-hmm. them the best price. And so we become hypocrites pretty quickly. And so um, I think it's a real uh, longer term sort of play by the best agents who just say, look, I'm going to own this market. I'm just going to create as much trust in this market over the next 15 years um, or 20 years. And I'm just going to try to look after everyone's interests and not bend the truth too much where it's going to catch me out, um, you know, and and give away less information as much as possible that can't come back on me. And I think that's the that's the fine line that, you know, that I think the best agents play is they they have to sort of stay on both sides of the fence um, over the over years and years and years to create that trust. Of course, and and that's in sales. What I love what you did there, Chris, is for any buyers listening, you gave away four to five key things that buyers could do to really make it easy for a real estate agent. And as you said, it's about playing the game. If you really want a property and you don't know what sort of agent that you're dealing with, put that aside. Here's what real estate agents need and want. They want to get more listings and sell them quickly. <laughs> Those, that, that's it. Okay. So by knowing that, you just brought up five great points that they could do. One, be very clear about your intention. Don't play hard to get or play it cool. You know, just be upfront. And if it's not going to work, you're not wasting time and you're not wasting their time. Two, um, see if you can refer them to anyone else selling a house. Three, if they have a house for themselves that they need to sell, great. Um, and then the referral of the network um, within the community. Uh, if you have a, a strong standing um, in the community of club work and say, look, I'm happy to pass them. Do you have any business cards? I mean, be memorable to the agent and they might look after you and you've got to kill them with kindness. It, but I love those points. This is interesting though because you've just latched on a whole bunch of things that a buyer can do to ingratiate themselves with an agent and hopefully get favourable mm. treatment, which isn't necessarily the agent doing the right thing in terms of their vendor, but it's doing the right thing in terms of themselves. So here we get back to this trustworthiness thing. And it is and it is true. You've got to sort of try and work out what it is that the other person wants and then deliver it to them, Right. Therein lies the problem here, right? Everyone's trying to do what, you know, they're trying to get what they want by delivering what somebody else wants. And that also works in a hot market. And 
What about a buyer's market? So, you know, we're certainly into, I'd say we're into a buyer's market now. I've got clearance rates sitting in the low 50s in Sydney anyway, and, and across the yep. country there's certainly um, a lot more uh, in favour of the buyer. However, still, you, we've got a problem trying to find quality stock, but that's beside the point for this argument. <laughs> the thing is that there's not as many competitive offer scenarios. You know, when you've got, when you've got a situation where 50% of, of auctions are passing in, or 45% of auctions are passing in or being withdrawn, then, you know, that's that's the point of where the gloves are off and the blindfolds are off and everyone everyone knows the truth of it. Now, this is, I guess, where it's good to introduce the idea of Resi, Rezo, sorry, which is your platform, because this is like an offer yep. platform, a multiple offers platform, isn't it? It's almost like an auction type platform. Now, I always wonder about this because everyone wants transparency when it's a hot market. And in fact, agents hate yeah. these competitive bidding scenarios as well because they're painful and they always come off looking bad. And they've got, if for every 10 bidders you've got, eight, nine hate you and one's happy, but they might not yeah. even be happy because then they felt like they paid too much. So, you know, like it's pretty thankless. They get to list plenty of properties. They get to sell them quickly, but no one likes them. Then the market turns. The vendors need them more because, you know, a good agent will guide well, but some of them still are useless. Um, and and the buyer doesn't need the agent at this point of time because the buyer then plays hard to get and becomes a real pain in the neck. And so how does a platform like Rezo, which is really a, a transparent offer platform, do they just take themselves off that when it becomes a buyer's market and there's only one buyer per property? I mean, how does that transparency yeah. work? Does it work in good times and bad times or is it something that they can they can turn off and on as suits them? Yeah, it does. Um, in terms of Rezo, uh -huh. it was initially designed to be a offer management system. And what we we certainly saw the heyday when uh, there's so much competition, in particular Southeast Queensland and, and uh, Sydney markets going. And the agents did love it because we did have 80 offers on one property, you know, within the week, you know, it was ridiculous amounts and an agent wouldn't otherwise yeah, be absolutely. able to manage all that, no matter how big mm. their notebook is or scraps of paper on the passenger seat. It, that's, that really lets people down because people get missed. Mm. So Reza was developed with that in mind to give everyone fair and equal opportunity to submit an offer on their dream home. And what our platform does is it invites all buyers to register on that particular property on the platform and submit their offers. And we ask, um, I'll just pause there. I'll back up in a second. Now, what that does is through the automations um, and the reporting and the agent remaining in the driver's seat and click of the button, they can control everything, the negotiations and the discussions, but it keeps everyone on the same page and taken along the journey of where the property's at. And that no one gets missed. And that right there was able to provide a great deal of trust and through mm. that transparency of knowing where their offer sits in relation to all other offers without disclosing price, still putting the real estate agent in the driver's seat. So it ranks them. So that's really... It, are you saying it sorry? ranks them without divulging the price? It ranks them without disclosing price. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Now, now we saw that the markets um, traditionally in Australia have been a buyer's market uh, over time. So what uh, we needed to do was we needed to build out the functionality of the platform to provide greater value to the real estate agents. So we do have automated reporting. We do have a documents portal that people can access documents without having to bother the real estate agent. We do have um, a lot of processes that helps manage any and all interested parties, um, even vendors as well. Now, so when we see the market changing conditions come down, the platform still has relevance. 
because it still saves the agent time and effort, um, but still keeps them in the driver's seat. So the ranking feature, which is only one component of the Rezo platform, may become a little bit less, especially only if you have one buyer. I've only had one agent ever do a ranking with one buyer. It was a mistake. <laughs> you should have done it. Um, but you only need two. If you have two interested parties, you can actually generate a lot of activity between those two. Uh, I had one agent that only had three buyers on a property. Uh, one was really kind of off the fence or, or playing hard to get and just not getting involved. And then it was a, a two-week campaign. For the first three days, he started off at 800000 and got it to about 840000 and said, I maxed them out, all interested buyers there. They're not going any higher. I said, okay, now let's run the ranking. He said, I've only really got two in this. I said, let's run the ranking. For the next nine days, he ran the ranking feature and settled on $1,050,000. Now, that's a 25% increase thereabouts that he otherwise thought he had maxed out. Now, think about how happy the vendor is going to be at the effort that he did by pushing the button of Rezo, but he had really gone far and beyond where he otherwise thought that he would max that. Now, this gentleman is 25 years in the business. He's no dummy you know, or pushover. He legitimately I mean, thought he had capital. I mean, it's come down to social. So there is social proof, isn't it? Agree. I mean, and you know, proof, in a hot yeah. market, we get that because we go to an open home and we know it's busy and then we, we you know, agents not, it's very relaxed. It's like, it's going to auction, you know, you're not going to take any offers. You're like, come on, can you make <laughs> no, It's not even playing any games, right? Goes to auction, there's six people bidding, right? There's all this social proof. Mm-hmm. But in down markets, you're not sure what's going on, right? Maybe the open home isn't very busy. Maybe the agent's telling you the office, but you don't believe it because, you you know, the open home wasn't busy. You haven't seen anything else selling. There's all the media hype that, you know, market's going to crash, et cetera. And we just want that yeah. social proof. So you could easily, you know, a Rezo platform could still work in a down market if you did have three buyers, right, in a down market because you go, well, somebody else thinks this place is worth $1.5 million, right? Um, maybe I'm not crazy and maybe I should buy, you know, because I do like the property and it's enough to create that urgency. Um, whereas, you know, you think a lot of people, the agents at the moment, a lot of our buyers just think the agents are trying to, uh, you know, should just sit on their hands, you know, because the agent's saying they've got offers and then they still sell. So I don't know. I, I still think it can work, but you still have to have some type of competition. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it, it just doesn't work, does it? If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. This is fascinating, actually, because I'm sitting here listening to you explain that, uh, Sean, and I'm thinking this is where transparency is actually not in the buyer's interest. You know, some buyers will get spooked and and then second-guess the agent and go, they're bluffing, blah, 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 and they might pull out, whereas if total transparency gets to that sort of eBay bidding type thing, whereas you can actually see... And you've got time and the, the clock starts ticking and every time there's there's like those online auction platforms, every time the, the final bid's put in, the clock resets for five minutes. It gives you five more minutes to think about loss aversion and have all those those uh, behavioural biases kick in and then you go, okay, one more. I know I bought <laughs> art online like this. You know, it's it's very compelling. So actually this is, this is um, you know, I'm starting to rethink my idea about transparency and the ranking, but there's a trip. A tip for buyers, if you're on one of these platforms and there's no ranking, you can bet your bottom dollar you're probably the only buyer. 
Here's a clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a good one. Um, I, first of all, yeah, I, I like that. And I was concerned about how buyers would react you know, to, to the ranking feature, you know, total transparency. I, I was concerned that some buyers would go out, this is ridiculous. I'm seventh. I'm out. You know, I'm, I'm capped. I'm, I'm not going any further. I'm putting my foot down. You're not going to do that to me. And you know what? That's okay. We're talking about fair and equal opportunity here for you. And if this property is beyond your means or, or what you're willing to spend, well, aren't you glad that you actually know? That's where I was hoping for. We do an NPS um, net promoter score in Rezo as well. And we asked buyers their comments, how did they like the platform? And the feedback has been very good. Love the transparency. Love being kept up to date. At least I know. Mm. When we got negative feedbacks, it was usually something that the agent had not done or didn't keep them in the loop or didn't yep. use the functionality of Rezo to its full extent. So it comes back to the human elements, not the technology. So I think people do want the transparency there. Even and Chris, come back to your money. point before, and I love that <laughs> sound bite before. I want to record that and just put it everywhere of why we should be using it in the down, downturn market. <laughs> um, but I think, I think a platform like us is absolutely essential in, in a downturn market because if you have two people, yeah. that's where you need to be as, as an agent maximizing every buyer's top offer. And this is a platform. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, I mean, for our listeners out there, we're seeing some pretty good results for buyers in the last few weeks. Um, I mean, even today, a, a client's living in the property um, and, you know, the owner was uh, told that he has to get out for the lease. They're going to sell the property. Um, the owner is obviously very scared. Um, you know, it's a pretty good asset. You know, it's a, a house uh, on a good street. There's nothing really fundamental. It needs a bit of work, but, you know, um, so it would unlikely, it probably would struggle a little bit on the market just because of the amount of work that it needs, but it's a great piece of land. Um, and uh, just the, the fear in the vendor, right? The fear in the vendor that by the time they get it to market, by the time mm. they do these renos to get it up to speed, it's going to potentially be next year. Um, you know, they think it's worth closer to two mil and, and their budget's only, you know, a bit lower than that, quite a bit. Um, and it just had, a, you know, having a crack. And, you know, the vendor is very nervous at the moment and they just like, well, I don't really want to take that risk. Borrowing capacities are falling. Um, you know, I don't want to take advantage of the offer. Um, it's not worth the risk. Let's just take the offer. And, and we're noticing that a lot in the last couple of months. It's the perfect buying conditions, to be honest. It's, you know, you've got nervous um, other buyers. You know, buyers are sitting on their hands. They're non-committal. And you've got vendors willing to take solid offers. They don't have to be the, you know, outstanding offers. They just need to be solid offers. And so I think it's just a, it's a, it's a really good time. I mean, it, it, platforms like Rezo could definitely help there just by helping that, that process um, be really efficient, right? And not that games of, of the emails and the calls. And I, I think that transparency even allows buyers just to be very clear. Yeah. I, I think uh, the buyers, it's, it's certainly going to be in their favor over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, so many people have overextended themselves over the last couple of years. And as we see interest rates rise, it's going to put some pressure on some people. I wonder if there's some people in, in renting at the moment they may be able to purchase the property that they're in, um, that they're living in, and pay less on the repayments than what they're paying for rent. It's going to be really interesting um, to see what happens over the next twelve to eighteen months for sure. So, what I've noticed since I've been back, and certainly even before I went, so I went away at the end of June for a month, um, and certainly I've been talking to my team. Most open houses and across the board, from units right up to big, big expensive family homes, the open houses generally are quite busy. And that is something we've never seen before when clearance rates are so low. Normally what happens when clearance rates are low, it just shows that nobody's got any interest in property whatsoever. 
So I think there there must be some latent demand and people, you know, potentially sitting on their hands saying, look, I'm going to wait and see what happens, which normally when they wait and see what happens, they literally just go to ground and not, not literally because they're not really going to ground, but uh, <laughs> I hate it when people say that, but anyway, they go to ground. Um, but this time they're retaining their interest in inspecting. Yeah. Are, are you seeing that too, Chris? Are, are you seeing that, Sean? Uh, it is a mixed bag. Um, so there's absolutely people who are just, you know, putting on the back burner. They're, they're freaked out about what's going to happen with rates or they're freaked out what's going to happen to their mm. situation and affordability and they're worried about, um, you know, things are quite tight. And and, there's, and so we do see a big chunk of pre-approvals that have um, gone inactive, I guess, and have basically cancelled their plans to buy um, because of the change in the marketplace. There is also the, the I guess, the more people who are reading the negative news um, and they're willing to just wanting to sit it out. Um they're naturally that more inclined, you know, so they're more, uh, a bit more big picture, you know, they're reading about the negative global story about inflation and um, maybe getting a bit analysis paralysis. They've had that problem in the past. Um, so they're sitting it out, definitely. They want to see what happens, you know, over the next year. But I do think the opportunistic buyer, the one who's probably doing quite well at work and um, is is probably getting their head around it and you can see in these markets that they really want to be in, Prices have already corrected, and I think they've corrected, you know, 15, 20% in a lot of the premium markets. Um, you know, at certain levels, not the top, top stuff, but, you know, some of the more compromised properties. Uh, and they're like, well, now's actually a good time. They're actually saying, well, you know, be fearful when other people are, are greedy and, and greedy when other people are fearful. And I think they're starting to, to enter the market. Um, and they're out in open homes, but they're just being really patient and picky. Because they're all saying to us, like, what what would be repayments if they're at 5 or 6%? Um, that was up from about 4% at the mm -hmm. start of the year. People were thinking, I need to factor in if rates go to 4 to 4.5%. Now they're saying, well, I need to factor in in case they go to 5 to 6%. Um, and that, that's what they're thinking about when they're looking at their budget. They're looking, I'm not going to pay that price for that property unless I can afford it mm -hmm. under 5 or 6% rates, hence why you're seeing discounting. And then people are also reducing their budgets um, because of those repayments. And so someone who would have spent 2.5 now wants to spend two um, because repayments are going up. Um, and so not only are they wanting to spend less because prices are less, they're spending less because they're worried about repayments running on them. Um, we had even a client this morning, you know, wanting to downsize because um, they're worried about rates going up and we sort of talked to another solution there for him. But um, yeah, it's definitely, I think it's it's already starting to shift. I, I would, I'm not going to call it yet too early on the podcast, but I think peak fear can't be far away because I think peak fear is when rates are rising really fast. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've got another two to three months of rates rapidly increasing. And then there's going to be a point where they have to stop. And that's when confidence will start to return slowly, right? Because but while rates are rising fast, that's when fear is going to increase. And so, yeah, yeah, that's what we're sort of seeing over the last month or two. So if you put them together, the interest in property is still there. The capabilities or the um, the hesitancy is is quite real. On the central coast here, we've had properties in the last you know two years go up 50, 60, 100%, 200%. Uh, we've had the property market, um, management market of rentals going up uh, increases in the last five quarters. So I think what we're seeing is a mix of people uh, on the coast going, hmm, do I stay home with mom and dad? Do I get on the market? I've got close to my deposit. Can I afford it? But we've got some benefits going to come our way. Or then we also have people from the Sydney that were flooding the coast going, well, is it still a good buy? Because now the prices are matched to Sydney. <laughs> so I think right now um, everyone's just kind of holding, but the interest, I believe, is still real. And getting back to the, the sort of the theme of this episode, which is around 
trustworthiness and agents. When the market changes and shifts like this, you know, then you really start to see the ones that are confident and competent in changing market conditions versus a lot of the newbies out there that are... (laughs) We're, in my pocket, you know, we're seeing a lot of the younger, less experienced, and I say younger in terms of years of experience in real estate, and a lot of them are getting these yeah. off-market listings that are ridiculously overpriced and, you know, they're never going to sell it, and or they're talking fear into the marketplace to say, oh, you've got to sell now because prices are going to fall 50%. They don't know. They haven't been around. They don't actually have no idea what's going to happen, but they're just fearful because they've never had it hard. You know, they've they've only started in recent years. They've only ever found it easy to sell property. And I remember when I was, you know, beginning as a sales agent, I started in the middle of a boom. You know, I know that first Christmas when things slowed down heading into, into December that, oh, my God, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I do? You know, this panic because it's been easy. So I get that. But also some one thing I've noticed with some agents who have been around a long time might even be perceived as being trustworthy. But, you know, that sort of old thing, you can have 20 years experience, you can have one year's experience 20 times. You keep doing the same thing over and over <laughs> and over. You don't actually develop. You don't actually expand your knowledge or your repertoire. And I am seeing some of that. Some, some agents that have been around a long time are quite shocked. They don't seem to be managing this transitional uh, market, you know, in any really respect i'm not respecting the way they're doing it put it that way and you just think they're they're also very big on the fear you got to list now they're very much in the now they're not thinking long term they're not thinking of actually giving good advice so i mean you know back to your i guess your exposure and your your um the the types of agents that you're talking to and you've been talking to do you see how do you see that changing, or do you just see that as endemic of the type of industry that it is? Uh, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's broad. I don't think it's across the industry. I think there are individuals in, within the industry. Um, I think that agents might be taking that approach because they're getting pressure from the vendors as well. Um, you know, putting pressure on buyers, or you know, they got pressures themselves, and they're fearful, and they're they are human. Um, so there might be some elements, but the agents that are, I feel that are most trusted in, in, in an environment like this are probably the ones that are most calm. And they're the ones that, uh, I'll go back to the, the five things that I noticed out of interviewing all the, you know, top respected and trusted agents, I believe in the industry is, and I'm going to throw five in there because you gave me the fifth one, consistency. <laughs> they're consistent in their advice. They're consistent in their approach. Um, they, they're authentic. They're true to themselves. They do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it. And they really form a strong connection. Now, connection for me is key. And when we saw it through um, the you know, COVID pandemic, you know, the couple times, um, some agents had, that was the best years because they actually picked up the phone and they stayed connected with everyone and they pushed on through. Um, whereas some agents said the sky was falling and going to drastic measures. Some were going, no, I've got this. I'm just making more calls, more calls. What's interesting though, is after the pandemic and everything kind of, um, settled, people went back to their old ways, (laughs) except for some agents They kept up the good behaviors that, you know, really excelled them along. So I think if you're a, a vendor and you're looking to choose an agent, don't get full into the hype of media or even what you're hearing from agents, you know, get, look for the people that are calm and that have been consistent with the delivery of of the service and the advice that they've been giving you and um and look for those other elements are they following up with what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it and do they actually seem like they care 
um, for you as well. I'll, I'll add mm. one for you. If you look, if, I, would, I would say that. Yeah. If, if you're looking at, at you choosing go. an agent to sell your house at the moment, a really good sign mm. is how many of their properties are actually selling, and it's about this is all about yeah. how they're guiding their owner and how they're pricing the property in the outset how they're actually where the from the appraisal yeah, process the and and yeah. also how trusted they are by their vendor as the market moves as the market adjusts whether the vendor trusts them in their guidance and whether they're strong enough to give good guidance around pricing because if you get the pricing wrong in these sort yeah. of market conditions you're not going to be selling um, or when you do yeah. ultimately sell, you're going to cost yourself a hell of a lot more money than you would have if you got the pricing right at the beginning. So those agents who can't manage those vendor expectations or they buy the listing or they're too pally, they're too connected. And so they we we have lots of different avatars for different types of agents in our office and one of them is a defender. <laughs> You know, and they defend that yeah. property. It's definitely worth that money, and and they and the and the vendor often link arms. And they're both defending it together against what the market. Well, I'm sorry, and when the market's like this, the market <laughs> the will market, tell you what it's worth, not you two. You know, <laughs> and so we are seeing some agents where they got quite. They're chalking up quite a lot of properties that are taken off the market, and versus others that aren't. And you know, you could argue the others that aren't are more snaky. They're they're better at crunching people. But I do believe that guidance and the trustworthiness at the outset getting the pricing right um, is absolutely critical to success in tight market conditions yeah well, I, well I think you know it might sound a bit of a plug here at the moment but i would say if you're a top agent right now what you want to be doing is providing great education and information to them right now and in particular around mortgages and debt and what you can do right like if if you're the one this is what i've been working with a few agents locally here and you know, he's, he's quite trusted in the community. He's been an agent for a long, long time. And he'll say, look, Chris, can you chat to this client? Um, they're not sure whether they can do a downsize or how they're going to do a deposit bond or what's the, can they get um, refinance their loan to get cash out to do this? And, you know, what, what can they, how do they reduce their repayments? And, you know, because what you want to be doing is, is if this is a uh, interest rate sort of increasing environment. So people are making their decisions based on what happens to their mortgages and what borrowing they can get. Um, and so, you know, if you really are there guiding them and saying, oh, look, you know, maybe you should do an upgrade because it's a great upgrade of market, to yep. be honest, but people don't know how to do that from a finance point of view. So maybe you should speak to your broker, et cetera. So I would say that the, the key agents right now are, are working with their brokers and saying to them, look, you know, I know you're thinking about selling in a couple of years. Are you sure you can get finance? You know, just, just really prodding them on their finance because I think that's where people's biggest fear is mm. right now is, How's that all going to work? How's that going to play out? How's my borrowing capacity going to change? Can I afford the repayments on the high? What are the repayments? Um, and so I think that's where I'd say that the agents are really excelling in, in, from, from my view. And that's where and we so started Sean, the podcast, got a, um, right? Property living value. What's that? And that's where we started the podcast. Uh, this episode first was giving value first as well. And I think that's an excellent example. So have you got a property done by for us, Sean? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, I, the, I have a couple actually, but this one could have cost me big time. And I really feel for some people that are buying in particular off the plans or a new build um, because prices, as we know, the builds have gone up, you know, 10, 20%. And uh, that's forced a lot of developers to go back and, and ask um, the, the buyers to, to put more money up. And some people were really maxed out. So I was fortunate enough in my, I bought two investment properties last year and in the agreement, 
um, I struck out the clause, you know, saying the price adjustments. I said, no, nah, it's got to be set price because I knew that I was maxed out. But I'll move the sunset period back by 12 months. So if prices of materials do go up, you can take your time and, um, and, and just take longer to build. But I'd rather wait than, than pay any more up front. And that's exactly what happened. So um, our, our developers have gone, you know what, we're going to work somewhere else. We've already got the tools on that and we'll come back and finish this job in the additional year. So that saved me loads, like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 right there. So um, I'm glad I did that. I guess the advice would be is just always protect against the downside as mm. well. So the property dumper is what is that? Is that the uh, well, you, you did weren't a dumper because you got these clauses that you want. Um, is it the people yeah. who are off the plan who you know expected that they would get the builds done for certain prices? And um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it definitely is happening, right? You've got people who have uh, we've had clients in all different levels of builds, like builders going bankrupt mid build. We've had builders walk off the job that's not profitable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, We've had uh, clients who have bought off the plan and house and land packages that have come to us after they've purchased, um, and they've the sunset clauses run out, um, and they've been, and they've delayed releasing the land for years, and they've got this deposit tied up. Um, what else have we had? Oh, we've had people doing builds, um, even one this week that they originally were told seven hundred ish, seven fifty maybe, and it's a mil. Mm. It's like, yeah. it's, and then they're saying, oh, you've got to pay for that. You've got to buy all the, uh, the taps and the, all that sort of stuff because it's trying to save money. So it's a real issue, right? Um, I mean, what's your, have you, uh, mm. would you be open to exploring the challenges of what you actually purchased off the plan and, and uh, if they're great investments or not? Or is that something you'd, you'd not want to go down? No, I, I believe these two are. But, you know, I do have a, a Dumbo. I, it was a commercial lease. Um, where I, I opened up a salon and it was our first business at a hair salon with my wife and I, and we didn't look at all the clauses clearly. And that's probably why I've gotten really um, particular about clauses and contracts uh, against pre, uh, protecting us against the downside. When COVID hit, we were 12 months in a new business, just starting to find our feet after when we opened the doors, we found out we were pregnant. So my wife, she ended up, working, being pregnant, and there's health complications, and we delivered a baby, and we're just finally getting her back in the salon, and COVID hit, and we had to shut down, all because of we didn't look closely at the clauses that were there for us um, to protect us, and our and they didn't have any uh, landlord, um, commercial landlord protection at that time. It was too early in COVID. We didn't have enough to carry us through, um, so we actually yeah. had to shut, but we relocated and you can make damn right that I put a COVID clause in there that if we had to shut down, that we would, um, rent would halt. And nobody thought COVID two would hit again. And, and it did. And we were protected. So we got another three, four months where we didn't have to pay anything. Otherwise that would have broke us forever. So, um, but yeah, that's definitely good, COVID one. I mean, it's a good point, right? Whenever you're going through the contract, this is to try to protect yourself. Um, you know, it, well, that's yeah. what the role of the conveyance and solicitors trying to do is look what's in your interests and take out things that are in too much in the vendor's interests and, and try to always negotiate. They can always say no to whatever you ask for, right? Um, but it's worth a shot um, and try to remove clauses that, you know, sometimes you, that you won't have any luck, but it's worth a shot. I think the other thing around off the plan mm -hmm. is we're seeing is borrowing capacities are really falling for clients, like dramatically. Um because every 1% increase in interest rates reduces borrowing capacities, you know, 10%. 
Um, and so we're talking rates potentially going to increase from, you know, zero, um, let's call it, which is um, to maybe 3% at the RBA, right? Like this is worst case, let's say, or maybe around that. So it's a 30% reduction to borrowing capacities, which is massive. Um, and so if you say that off the plan buyer a couple of years ago who bought uh, and they're earning the same amount of money and they went pretty close to their max, they're going to have no chance of settling on this property because their borrowing capacities aren't going to keep mm. up unless they've had pay, pay increases and things like that. Plus, you're going to have valuation issues. I might be calling issues. you yet, Chris. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not saying just for you, but it's what we're definitely going to see in the off-plan space. Plus, we're going to get valuation issues um, because of, you know, the fear in the marketplace. And finally, we're getting banks already changing LVRs around high, high density. Really? Um, we had a client, client this morning where um, – uh, a pretty commercial bank, to be honest. I was in the bank's interest here. It was a bit frustrating for our client. Uh, they said they would do an 80% LVR on refinancing one of their properties and then they came back after they looked at it and said, no, we're only going to do 70% on it um, uh, because it's not a great asset, right? And so they're like, well, why would we want to do an 80% on a falling market on that? Um, and so I think you're going to see LVR reduction. So the off-the-plan sector, it's already had a pretty bad run, you know. It's not made much money in the boom. Uh, and finally, it was starting to get a bit of steam, and then it's been hit with all these forces around lending. And mm. so, um, yeah, I think the the building industry's you know got some pain ahead. Well, I still remember seeing all mm. those articles in two thousand eighteen, really, about all the settlement risks, all the high rises, all the house and land packages that people couldn't actually borrow what they'd agreed to pay because their lending capacity changed. You know, with the restrictions, the upper restrictions combined combined with falling valuations. So it, that is a huge risk with buying off the plan. You know that we're not fans of it, just so you know, Sean. I'm not sure if you listen to an, uh, <laughs> some of our episodes where we do talk about buying off the plan. There's so many risks. But, in fact, Megan and I on the on Your First Home Buyer Guide podcast, we, we did a an episode. We're talking about sunset clauses because I think you're in Queensland, aren't you? Um, no, I'm Central Coast, New South Oh, Wales. sorry, sorry. I thought you said yes, of course. Um, but in Queensland there was a, a, a young first home buyers who – it appears to have actually signed a contract on a brand new property, um, you know, off the plan before um, before COVID, I think, or last anyway, in twenty twenty perhaps, and they shortened the sunset clause. You know, for whatever reason, it doesn't appear that they got legal advice on this. There's no mention in this article, but they shortened the sunset clause. Um, their argument was, well, well, you know, it should be finished by then. <laughs> not realising the sunset clause is there to protect <laughs> them. You know, talk about a dumbo. Yeah. And, of course, then the developer hasn't been able to complete for lots of reasonable reasons like, you know, um, floods and Weather. COVID yeah. and supply issues yeah. and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and basically the uh, developer took advantage of the fact that the sunset clause had um, expired and rescinded the contract, sold to somebody else for more money. Really terrible story, but yeah. it's a situation where this young couple thought they knew, well, they must have thought they knew better and didn't realise that that was a clause there actually to protect them. So there's a Dumbo for you. All right. Well, listen, Sean, thank you so much for coming and chatting to us and for bearing your soul and being prepared to have us have a bit of a go at you about buying off the plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no problems at all. <laughs> awesome, Sean. Thanks no, that's chat, all good. Mate. And what? Uh, thank you both very much for having me along. And uh, I might still be calling you guys uh, for some advice in the future. <laughs> so thanks <laughs> very sure. much for that. See you, mate. 
If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo. (laughs) 